What is good, everybody? Welcome to another Niners Nation podcast. This is the Under Review podcast with Stats and Vish. I'm Rob Stats Guerrero. Happy to be joined on yet another Victory Monday, or as Diego watching on YouTube put it, Vishtery Monday. Vish Kumar, what's up, ma'am? Is that 10 in a row? 10 in a row, baby. 10 straight Vishtery Mondays. Stats, that's kind of crazy. You're a little too excited this morning. You were, why aren't you being negative, Rob? <laughs> what is there to be negative about, right? Are you So before I was too negative, now I'm too excited? Is that what you're telling me? I, I, I'm not telling it to you. I'm just hinting it at it to you. But no, I, I, it's hard to be um, negative or even kind of critical of the 49ers at this point because they've not only won 10 in a row, they've been absolutely destroying teams for 10 straight games. Like, And right. that's where the strength of schedule argument, maybe we can talk about it, maybe we can't. It was a little bit of a topic of conversation last week thanks to the best content creator, Grant Cohn. He got the conversation stirring a little bit, the pot stirring with that one. And I'd buy it if the Niners were like Minnesota, you know, and just eking out these wins that could go kind of either way. A couple of things happen. It's a little magical. The Niners have not put like any, like they haven't left any question in any of these games besides maybe the Vegas Raiders who played them tight. They've just been destroying these teams. It's just been just destroying after destroying them. Yeah. You know, I don't want to hear any negativity today all right from any and all the naysayers can come at me brock purdy whatever man and and look nick wagner had a tweet this morning based on opponent winning percentage the niners have played the weakest schedule in the nfl their yeah. opponents were 120 168 and one which is a 412 winning percentage take it up with howard Katz and the schedule makers that's all i'm gonna say and like you said vish they're not just eking these games out they're playing weak teams but they are destroying them and again they're doing it with a third string rookie quarterback the dolphins couldn't score with teddy bridgewater they could couldn't score with their third string quarterback against the jets yesterday i don't want to hear it man we are crushing people with our third string backup quarterback and let's just screw it let's just get into it since taking over brock purdy leads the nfl in passing touchdowns, passer rating, and yards per attempt. So you can come at me all you want about the schedule, but we're doing what you should do against bad teams. Yeah. Um, So I'm going to make kind of a statement that some people might consider a little provocative. Um, But I think it should be made. My number one conclusion, right, you put out this stat, Brock Purdy leads the league in passing yards, passer rating, yards per attempt since he's taken over. And is that all Brock Purdy? Absolutely not. It's a lot of it is, first of all, Kyle Shanahan is so brilliant. I can't believe we had people questioning his offensive acumen at any point in this season. Um, And then, of course, these weapons are out of this world, even though Debo has been hurt, even though Eli Mitchell has been hurt, McCaffrey, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, Juwan Jennings, Ray Ray McLeod is still pretty freaking amazing. But I think the one kind of statement you can make about Brock Purdy is that he's everything we all wished Jimmy Garoppolo was for so long, right? It's yep. not that you have to be Patrick Mahomes. It's just that when the plays are there, take advantage of what's there. 
utilize these weapons, you know, don't miss the easy ones. Don't miss the gimmies. And then when there's not something there, just make a smart decision and make a play. Don't give the ball away. And he's been kind of doing that. And we're seeing that that's all this team needed at quarterback all this time for them to look like an absolute buzzsaw, right? With Garoppolo, they were beating every team, but sometimes the offense looked a little bit, you know, a little bit, uh, what's the word pain? It was a little bit painful to watch, I guess, at times. (laughs) It looked a little bit like, man, they're just trying to put the ball in one spot of the field. And it looked a little bit out, not this rhythmic, not this efficient. And that's how it looks with Brock Purdy. And I say all of that to say, it's just all these little differences, those little things that could have gotten better that never did over five years. And again, I don't want to sound like I'm being critical of Garoppolo. It's more to make a statement about Purdy and where this team's at and what kind of quarterback play they've required for all this time to look like a buzzsaw. They just needed somebody to be efficient, execute, and don't make stupid mistakes. And that's exactly what he's been. And it's unfortunate I have to make the comparison to Garoppolo, but that's kind of where we are. Yeah, you know what? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything untrue with any of that. Two things can be true. The defense can be helping the offense out a little bit, and Brock Purdy can be doing what he's supposed to be doing. And and part of it is Kyle Shanahan's been in his bag for 10 straight weeks now. It's crazy to say that. Like, 10 straight weeks, they lose to the Chiefs. They're 3-4, and and they didn't lose again after that. Think of all the questions that we had after that Chiefs game. Questions about Garoppolo, questions about the offense, questions about Shanahan. They just gave up all those picks for Christian McCaffrey. And we it was it was a different universe at that point. And they won out. They ran the table. This is just insanity. There have only been, Vish, eight other teams in the last 25 years to go into the playoffs on a win streak of 10 games or more. Do you know how many of those teams have won the Super Bowl? I know one of those teams was the Indianapolis Colts in like 2008. I want to say somewhere in that range, they started like two and four and they finished 12 and four. I know that team didn't win the Super Bowl. I think they lost. Correct. They beat Kansas city in the playoffs. They lost to somebody else. Do you but, know the um, answer to the question? I'm going to say maybe in, so in 25 years, nine teams, I'm going to say four. Four out of eight, 50% of them have gone on to win the Super Bowl. I'm going to go Dr. Strange on you. One, one. One team. Two have gotten there. One has won it. Both Patriots. So, <laughs> so the one that won it was New England. That was the 01 team, I presume. 03. 03. Okay. Um, and then uh, who were the two teams that got there? Uh, the 07 Patriots. Right. Lost. That one was obvious. They and were the 03 Patriots won. So they're the only team that has done it. But I'll still take my chances. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I, I, I think the context of all of this is so different. Those were more difficult conferences. This is the worst conference of quarterbacks I think I've seen in the playoffs ever. <laughs> it's so bad. Um. And I mean that with no disrespect to any of these guys, but, you know, there's not like, look at the AFC playoffs, right? You go across the list, the quarterbacks, right? Mahomes, Allen, Burrow. If Lamar Jackson plays, Justin Herbert, it's as good as it gets when you go down the list of names. And then you go to the NFC and sure, Kirk Cousins is pretty good. Dak is pretty good. Um, Jalen Hurts had a hell of a season. Purdy has been pretty good, but 
Daniel Jones has played well, but like there's Gino has played fantastic. There's disclaimers on every one of these guys though. And there's kind of a weird pass and there's a reason for us to doubt them. And that's where I look at this NFC and Rob, it's, you can put the, you know, superstition of they've won this many games. It's tough to maintain this streak, all of this in front of me, but I don't see a team that's going to take advantage of that. I don't see a team that's particularly hot. So they're scary because of how hot they are. The hottest team is the Niners. Philadelphia limped into the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Dallas probably had the worst week 18 (laughs) last week of the season I've ever seen from a team that has this much, like Dallas is probably a top three favorite in the NFC. And that was Patheticsville um, against Washington. And it was against Sam Howell. You know, (laughs) Seattle needed a Green Bay loss to get into the playoffs. Giants, you know, Minnesota, how many one possession ball games have both of these teams won? I don't want to discredit these teams, but this NFC is not good, Rob. <laughs> it's not good. It's not good. It is not good. And there's a path, Vish, especially if things break right. If Minnesota beats the Giants this weekend, and if the Cowboys beat the Buccaneers, that would set up the Niners only having to play one of the Cowboys and the Eagles, who I think are the two best teams in the NFC other than San Francisco. So there's a scenario where you only have to face one of those teams if you're the Niners. Now, of course, you got to take care of your own business. But if you told me the beginning of the year, one game, maybe at home, if it's the Cowboys, against either Philly or Dallas to get to the Super Bowl, I would have signed faster than that sentence could come out of your mouth. So – you're absolutely right. And when you texted me this this morning, I responded with something that I'm going to share. And it's that I actually fear the team they're playing Seattle more than Dallas. Like, I think the 49ers would own Dallas in a playoff situation. Ooh. I think the Niners coaching staff would destroy Dallas's coaching staff. Dallas just doesn't feel like a team that, you know, would be loose and be prepared for that moment. Dallas just, I feel like it's all so tightly wound because of Jerry Jones and the way he is. And they're so everything is so fragile in Dallas that I think all it takes is a little bit of adversity and it it would all come unwound. And I and I don't look at Dallas as a team that you know can go through the adversity it requires to make the playoff run. Just because you know every time they lose this year, they were talking about Cooper Rush. Dak Prescott hasn't had the usual season that he typically has. Mike McCarthy's job is always a question mark, and they made the playoffs two years in a row. Like. There's so many questions always surrounding this team that I don't trust them in the playoffs. Um, On the other hand, Seattle, to me, Pete Carroll playing with house money, it's a little bit scary. And their team has gotten better progressively as the year has gone on. They haven't gotten better in terms of record, but their defense has played better. And their rookies, their young guys have played a lot better. Seattle's tackles are pretty good. The two picks, draft picks they had have played very well this year. Um, their running back, Kenneth Walker, is very, very good. And then they got two really good receivers in Lockett and Metcalf. And I look, I don't I would never pick Seattle to beat the Niners. I think the talent discrepancy is large. So what are but we in, talking about here? In terms of a team that I think could challenge them, could make the game kind of ugly. It's a division game. They're playing with nothing to lose. Um, they're so familiar with the Niners schematically. I think Seattle would give them a bigger challenge than Dallas. Like I could see them wiping the floor with Dallas in a playoff game. Seattle played them tight in that second game, even though Brock Purdy was pretty much yeah, compromised. On the a fact that he short throw. week with a banged up quarterback in no, Seattle. I agree. I agree. I agree, Rob. But Seattle versus Dallas, I would take Seattle to play the tighter ball game. I would I would be more worried about the Cowboys. They have the much, 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 much better defense. 
Geno Smith has played well this year. And it, by the way, if you made a bet at the beginning of the year, if I, at the beginning of the year, Vish, if I said to you, pick an NFC quarterback to throw 30 touchdowns, and I'll give you the first four picks before I pick one. Yeah. What odds would you have given me? 10 to 1, 20 to 1, 30 yeah, to 1? Yeah, a lot more, a lot more than that. I mean, the first four names I would have listed, none of those guys threw for 30 touchdowns. There's only one quarterback in the NFC that threw for 30 touchdowns this year, and it's Geno Smith. That's crazy. I think Kirk Cousins at 29, though. Yes, he that ain't 30. <laughs> so yeah, that's crazy. I, I would have picked. I think I would have picked Cousins, Stafford, Brady, and Rodgers. And they right? were all in the – and Stafford was, I think, in the 10s. Cousins was well, 29. Yeah, he's been banged up. And then up, the other yeah. two were mid-20s, yeah. So Geno's had a good year. But, no, I would be more afraid of Dallas. The Niners have outscored the Seahawks 48-20 to 20 in the two games they have played this year. And don't give me the whole, oh, it's hard to beat a team three times. And is it? No, it's not. I gave it to you this morning. What's the stat you gave me? What's the stat? 63% of the time, the team that has won twice wins again. So don't, you know, we've heard that it's hard to beat three, a team three times and maybe it used to be. It's not now. You know why you won the first two? Because you're better than the other team. The yeah. Niners are better than the Seahawks and nothing, nothing would give me greater pleasure than to I... send Pete Carroll's gum chewing ass home as fast as possible. Yeah, I think if it was... 2012 or 2013 rob i would be like so emotional into this i'd have been 12 or 13 years old and pete carroll was like <laughs> undesirable number one i'm not that far yet but I, I sending them home would be absolute it would be something fantastic and then here's the thing though rob we do have to include this right you did say you know the stat you said on the three times winning in a row i think a lot of people have that a little bit warped in their mind because Tampa Bay, after losing both to New Orleans in 2020, beat New Orleans in the playoffs, went on to win the Super Bowl, and then the Rams did it to the 49ers last year after losing both in the regular season. John on YouTube says, can't sleep on the Seahawks. We swept the Rams last year and lost in the NFC Championship. Nick Ellard on YouTube, same thing. Didn't turn out that way last year. We lost to the Rams. But you can't compare those two teams, right? People are scarred niner fans are scarred against the seahawks and look i'm there with you okay i'm there with you i get it but it ain't the same seahawks okay a lot of those seahawks games were against the legion of boom and they had russ at quarterback and has gino had a great year and it wasn't yes. at home but i'm sorry i do not fear the seahawks i just don't man and daniel mayer watching on youtube makes a good point Seattle was trailing 21 to six in that second game until 3:39 left in the fourth in their own house again. Yeah. And then short week, all that stuff. So, look, anything can happen in any game. I totally get that. But and maybe I'm just riding high because it's a victory Monday. Which, by the way, got my victory Monday got his shirt. shirt on. Ten straight weeks. Not gonna lie, I haven't washed it. I haven't. When I'm on a streak, I don't mess with the streak. Okay? That's disgusting, and, man. Shout out to homage. This is a fantastic shirt. It still looks good. It's still, it's all right. Well, it it could smell better, but the point is that's not homage's fault. They make (laughs) great stuff. There's a link right in the description of this show on YouTube, and it'll be in the podcast link as well. Go there. They have new Niners gear for the playoffs. So if you looked already before the holidays and maybe you didn't, you weren't feeling it, whatever, they have new stuff. So go and check it out. It's absolutely fantastic. I know they hooked you up, Bish. They hooked me up. They, they had an awesome starter jacket that sold out in like two seconds. So shout out to homage. Uh, hopefully we can keep it going. I got to get some new gear for the playoff run myself. 
So hopefully I can uh, swing that because, you know, you got to look good, look good, play good, look good, broadcast good. Isn't that what they say? That's what you say. But, I, <laughs> I, you know, going back to the – we were talking about the Legion of Boom in those kinds of days with the 49ers. I was actually having like a weird deja vu feeling. So I was sick yesterday, so I slept through the game, watched it this morning at like 4, 4.30 a.m. Um, and – it reminded me a lot of those days when the Niners used to play the John Skelton Cardinals and the Richard Jeez. Bartell Cardinals. That's how it felt watching David Blau airmail two balls to Tashawn Gibson like he was targeting him and then Trace McSlorley come in and throw the ball straight to George Odom. It was like that kind of an ass whooping. And I, I thought that was pretty fun to watch. I mean, when's the last time the Niners have gone 6-0 and in the division? It's definitely something I question about them coming into this season. In fact, I didn't pick them to win the division because under Kyle Shanahan, besides the Rams, they hadn't played Arizona or Seattle consistently well. And for them, I, the division wasn't that good this year, but for them to actually wipe the floor and go 6-0 and with the division, because it wasn't that good last year, and they still managed to lose both to Seattle. And I think they lost both to yeah, they did lose both. The only Arizona. team they beat in the division yeah. was the Rams. Yeah, was the Rams. So it was it was I mean, I guess Arizona was quite good last year, but Seattle was bad and they lost both to Seattle. And so for them to go six and oh in the division. Wow, Rob, that's pretty fantastic. I mean, every number you want to pull up about the 49ers is incredible. The division record, by the way, who has the best point differential in the entire NFL? Guess who it is? It's the San Francisco 49ers, again, with three different starting quarterbacks. The Niners are plus 173. That is the best in the league. Next closest is Buffalo at plus 169. So all these people saying Kyle Shanahan's not the coach of the year. Like I, I do not understand it. Spare me with the Brian Dable talk, okay? No. This is more impressive to dominate the way the 49ers have with the injuries and the problems that they have had than it is to squeak into the playoffs. If you're Brian Dable in the yeah. weakest NFC we have seen in a long time. Yeah. I'm not buying the day ball one either. What are the giants nine and eight? Yeah. Uh, yeah actually, I, hold on. Let me make sure you're nine and seven and one. They tied that the tie. Oh, right, right. They tied to Washington. Excuse me. I knew that. Um, nine and seven and one. Yeah. To me, when's the last time a nine and seven and one coach, has gotten coach of the year. It's because the preseason expectations of the Giants were so bad. Yep. But you have to look at your preseason expectation, reflect, and admit that you were wrong in some areas, right? The Giants' offensive line is a little better than anybody thought it was going to be. Andrew Thomas is one of the best left tackles in the NFL. Saquon Barkley staying healthy the entire season was huge. Um, Daniel Jones had a pretty good season at quarterback. He's a terrific runner. His <laughs> dropback passing... Well, that's a work in progress. We'll see how that goes. That's going to define his career. They have no receivers. Look, Dayball did a fantastic job. Um, their defense, of course, being injured, being banged up, having so many different guys rotate in and out and not being a little bereft of talent to start the season with, did a fantastic job. But if you want to give Wink Martindale assistant coach of the year, then be my guest. Give him that. That wasn't necessarily Dayball. And so I, the way I look at it is I don't see how you cannot give that award to Shanahan three different quarterbacks to not lose a game with Brock Purdy to look how he looked with Jimmy Garoppolo after what Jimmy Garoppolo's first game of this season at Denver, his first start looked like um, to bounce from that um, to have the defense play as well as it did the entire season. I guess you can give a ton of credit to D'Amico Ryans as well, but to me it's a lot of Shanahan as well there. I mean, I, I just don't see how you can't Rob. They dominated everybody. 
Um, I understand they didn't beat the best of teams, quote unquote, but who did the Giants really beat? Like you said, it was a completely weakened NFC. Um, if you want to give it to Sirianni, I buy it. I don't like it, but I buy it because, you know, best record. If you want to give it to Andy Reid, same They're reason one game I buy better it. than the 49ers. I'm just saying because of precedence, you know, the guy with the best record, they usually just hand him the award. But to me, I'm with you, Rob. I mean, you know how I feel about Shanahan. Our, our, the first two or three episodes of this show started off with you and I arguing about Shanahan quite a bit. Yep. And I definitely think he should uh, be the coach of the year. Absolutely. To me, I think it's obvious. I think anybody that like, I just don't understand the argument for anybody else. We have literally never seen this before in the NFL. A quarterback pick last in the draft had never even started a game. Yeah. In the common draft era, going all the way back to like 67, something like that. The quarterback pick last in the draft had never even started a game. Not only is Brock Purdy starting for the 49ers, he's winning for the 49ers. And like we said, he's leading the league in touchdown passes, passer rating and yards per attempt yeah. since taking over. That That is, this is unprecedented right now. What yeah. we are seeing. So I think you got to give Kyle Shanahan the flowers and yeah, I was on him earlier in the year. Cause you know what? He was doing stupid things early in the year and they looked terrible. And you know what? He stopped doing stupid things and now they look better. Imagine that. Yeah, absolutely. And look, Purdy deserves a lot of credit, right? Like he's played unbelievable. He deserves so much credit for that, but how many other coaches have their, all three of their quarterbacks ready enough where they are able to play with, all three of them. And Shanahan has been criticized, you know, for Mullins playing poorly in the past, Beathard playing poorly in the past. I don't think either of those things uh, were exactly fair, but they were criticisms thrown his way. Well, he should be credited for how well Purdy is playing too. Getting Purdy yes. ready, getting Purdy to play at this level. In fact, they won a game with Purdy barely being able to throw, which is the Seattle game we were just referring to. And while that's great credit to Purdy and his toughness and, you know, his ability to fight through that injury and play as well as he did. All of those things I agree with, Rob. It's also credit for Shanahan for finding the right game plan, finding the right balance where they could mm -hmm. manage a quarterback that was injured the entire game. And then, Rob, another thing we have to mention, we criticized him for it earlier in the season. The practicing, right? I did an interview with Jaquaski Tartan. He compared and contrasted the practice schedules of the Niners and the Eagles. And at the time, the Niners were the lowest in terms of injuries or highest or lowest in terms of the most of, they injuries, had the, right? They had the most injuries and Philadelphia was one. And look, the injury thing, it's a very difficult thing to talk about. We offered it as an opinion, a thought process. We really didn't play the, Oh, this is what you should do, what you shouldn't do. But whatever they're doing right now, Shanahan has done something, their injury, whatever they've done something because they've been able to stay relatively healthy through the um, back part of this season. And some of those injuries that guys came back from, they didn't seem to linger and, you know, rehappen and do the whole setback thing that seemed to be happening. And so, you know, I don't want to get into that topic because when we criticize them, it was very difficult to talk about absolutes. And it's the same way when we're complimenting them. We're not really sure of who's responsible for what or how you prevent something like that. But the one thing we do know is that they have found a way to make that reduced. And for that, they deserve a ton of credit. And they seem to be in one of the best health spots that they have been in all season right now. And that's incredible. Keith Murray is hitting us up on the Super Chat, so I want to make sure I read these. He didn't think the Giants would win five games. He ranks the Coach of the Year candidates. Dayball, Shanahan, Sirianni. 
I think that's how the coach of the year generally gets decided who has the lowest expectations and who exceeds them is generally who they go to. But you can't tell me when Jimmy Garoppolo goes down against Miami and we find out, oh, he's not going to be able to play that you didn't have low expectations for the 49ers and they have exceeded them. So uh, go ahead. I don't even buy that from that standpoint. Sure. You can say expectations, but that expectation has to change because we had expectations. The giants would win five games or less. I had similar expectations. I agree with you, but I also had expectations that Tampa Bay would be very good. Green Bay would be very good. The Rams would be a lot better than they are. And so when those three teams end up pretty much sucking for the majority <laughs> of the season, it allows a team like the Giants, who are maybe mediocre, to have a little bit of record because, you know, there is a not it's not really the law of averages, but there is a parity to the NFL, right? Where if you yeah. have five bad teams, you're going to have five good teams just because of the way schedules and games work out. And that's where even though more teams were closer to the median this year, we didn't have teams running away the you know the distribution of records remains similar and so if those three teams suck and they're horrible then Somebody yeah gotta you're gonna win these games. Like the giants that are gonna be better yeah uh kurt the chameleon watching on youtube now it all depends on the defense to win big games in the playoffs secondary kind of worries me two there's two points there i want to get to first it doesn't all depend on the defense because the niners offense has been scoring 30 points a game pretty much every time with Brock Purdy, that's that's massive because I agree the defense is not going to be incredible holding teams to 13 points a game every week. But if you want to get into the secondary, Vish, I was doing a little research and I uncovered a stat that has me a little worried. So remember the 77-yard touchdown pass that the Cardinals had against the Niners to A.J. Yeah. Green, second play of the game. That was the sixth pass play of at least 50 yards this season allowed by the Niners that is tied with the Packers for the most in the NFL. And it's one more than the Niners have allowed in the last two seasons combined. So long way of saying you can move the ball on this 49ers defense. If you throw it deep, uh, not necessarily. Um, a lot of these plays are, you know, one-off shot plays or, you they know, one count. play where they bust the coverage. <laughs> Um, I don't think you can do it consistently in a game is what I'm saying. Like the Miami game is a great example, right? First play RPO, they bust it, Trent Sherfield. And I think that's where we're going to talk about the biggest difference here, right? There was more speed at safety with Tartan Ward as opposed to both Gibson and Hufanga. Um, Gibson isn't running down anybody from the back end. He's had a really good season. He's played really well. He's a good veteran player, Rob. But anytime somebody turns the corner on him, he's not running anybody down. Um, and so it's most likely a touchdown. And and Hufanga has taken a couple of risks, so he's made a couple of mistakes. He's at times bid on play action and given up a few plays. But I don't remember a game besides the Raiders game and I guess the Chiefs game. Um, Chiefs game was a little bit Mahomes, Andy Reid, they're special, and the Niners defense had a bad game. And the Raiders game, again, inexcusable, but they had a bad game where a team was actually able to consistently get chunk plays, if you know what I'm saying. Like the Miami game, the reason I brought that up is because that's a great example of they busted one play. Miami got a huge play. It's a great play. And then after the game, they kind of bottled them up. And then I think they got one more quarters coverage post to Tyreek Hill. Tua threw a good ball. That was also a big play. But it was really two big plays against an offense that's so used to getting chunk plays against everybody else. I don't know if I'm that worried from that standpoint. Like I'd be more worried, Rob, if every game there were one or two 
of those that were just giving up big plays at inopportune moments. It wasn't necessarily like that, right? There were two or three games where those happened. Um, They shouldn't. It's inexcusable. But it's not necessary. Also, I, I look at the NFC, Rob, and I think Philadelphia is the only team that can really take advantage of what teams are taking advantage of, which is the Niners corners, specifically the corners not named Mooney Ward, specifically Diamador Lenore down the field. Um, AJ Green yeah. lost him. I could see AJ Brown and Devontae Smith maybe going up and making a few plays in the air against him. But yeah, AJ Green Moss is every like AJ Green's just really good. Um, I he agree was with really you. good. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm thinking yeah. of AJ Brown. Um, AJ Brown is really good. Yes. Um, I think that's the 49ers philosophy too, is that, yeah, okay, you can get us once, but you're not going to be able to do that enough to beat us because we're not, you're not going to be able to do that again right. and again and again. I do think it's a little funny. You know, the Niners had another game where they stopped a team from gaining a yard for either a first down or a touchdown. I think it's three straight weeks now where that has happened. It sometimes feels like it's easier to get a 50-yard play on the Niners' defense than it is to pick up one yard. Uh, But that's just, you know, the things that stick in our head because we remember the big plays that the defense gives up. They're still really, really good. D'Amico Ryans, yeah, he's got to work around D'Amador Lenore a little bit. But it's not like he's not used to working around bad corners. Remember last year? I mean, he's used to it by now. And he doesn't have to worry about half the field, like you said, because of Mooney Ward. So, yeah, I mean, they're going to give up some plays. But I'm not going into the playoffs scared like, oh, my God, the opposing quarterback is dropping back to pass. Yeah, no, even yesterday they did give up some plays, right? They had a third and 17. They threw a little crossing route Hufunga I thought that was a block in the black back I it guess it was a block, a block in the, in the side okay fine whatever that was one and then they converted a couple more third downs one against a pressure he threw an out route to the tight end um McBride, they had a couple yeah. of big plays they had one play on a bootleg to the tight end in the flat that Jimmy Ward took a bad angle uh, McBride the tight end he's pretty fast yeah he's a pretty good athlete that kind of acceleration but either way I don't really look at it as, you know, necessarily an issue. It's just that, you know, these they, they got to play more focused. I think they will. I don't think Lenore has played at that poorly either. I think there is a level to his talent. but And I do think that, you know, there's very specific teams that can take advantage of him. And you really need a team with two really good receivers. And that's where I look at in the AFC, obviously, you got Waddle and Hill in Miami. Yeah, um, we'll I worry about the AFC when we get to the okay. Super Bowl. Okay, but in the NFC, to me, that's really only Smith and um, Brown. Brown. That's where, like, you got these two really, really good receivers on the outside that can win by themselves. And the Niners, because the Niners' middle of the field coverage is, it's godly. Fred Warner <laughs> is, it's something else, man. I, I don't know how to describe it. Fred Warner just eliminates that part of the field. So you got to attack them outside the numbers because their corner's Mooney Ward is obviously excellent, but Lenore is not like, he's not Emmanuel Mosley. And so to attack them on the outside, especially when you're dealing with pressure, you need guys that are going to consistently get open and get open quickly. And so you need two really good receivers out there. And there's not really that many teams that have that in the NFL. That's a good point. Uh, I do want to read this comment though. Bay Area Baller 18. Diamador Lenore has been in great position, just needs to play the ball better in the air. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good a position you're in if you can't make a play on the ball. You don't get credit for being close to the guy if they complete the catch. Like people say that a lot about him. They said it a lot about Ambry Thomas too. And I get it that like, yeah, he's not just completely getting roasted, but ultimately it comes down to 
Can you stop the guy from catching the ball? And right now, Diamador Lenore has struggled. Johnny Robinson watching on YouTube. Lenore equals Witherspoon 2.0. I don't agree with that. No, no, no. Akello Witherspoon was capable of playing awesome in short yeah. stretches. Better than anything Lenore has put up so far. He's still a very, very He was young just physically player. a much more gifted player than Lenore. Yeah. Uh, Mark watching on Facebook says Lenore has to get better. He's been getting burned pretty good. I mean, again, you're not, the other team is going to gain some yards. I think yeah. sometimes I know I get kind of spoiled. Like all of a sudden a team gets a couple first downs. I'm like, Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's going on here? Look, What's up with this defense? And, and the thing with thing with a guy like Lenore is look, you got to take your chances against somebody. You're not, when you're going against the nine or second back seven, right? You're not going to take a chance against Fred Warner. You're not going to take a chance against right. either of the wards. Both the wards are as good as it gets at their positions. Jimmy Ward is a top nickel in the NFL, and Mooney Ward is a top 10-ish corner in the NFL. So you're going to take your chances on somebody, and that's going to be Lenore. And that's because Lenore has made a few plays. He's made a few plays on the ball. He had an interception against Seattle, pick six, that shouldn't have been overturned. But, you know, there mm-hmm. was, quote-unquote, roughing the passer. <laughs> Um, so yeah, he's had his play, fair share of plays too, but he's going to give up plays as well. It's not like he's just not that it's, he, there's a capacity to how well he could play. Um, the big thing is I thought in the Vegas game was that Josh Jacobs, he was a little late a couple of times in replacing against the run. And Kyle Shanahan actually talked about it, um, in his interview with Greg Papa, his weekly interview, by the way, those are very good. If you don't listen to them, make sure you do listen to them. It's the most open and honest you hear Shanahan ever, probably. Um, but yeah, he talked about it. And that's where, like, that's the one thing he's done really well all season, Lenore, which is play the run. He's been so physical and he's been so quick to trigger and replace. He was a little bit late. Like, to me, that's more worrisome than him giving up, you know, a 50-50 ball to A.J. Green and he just mistimed his jump. But he's also 5'11". A.J. Green is six foot four. Like you don't want him to give that play up, but sometimes it happens, you know? Yeah. Again, I don't care if he's in good position. I care if the guy catches the ball. Traverius Ward, a lot of times is not necessarily in the best position, but you know what he does? Like I freaking haven't seen a 49ers corner doing a long time. He makes plays on the ball. He'll knock it out of the guy's hands as he's catching it, or he'll get his hand in between. Like it's incredible what he is doing. So again, it's not something that's keeping me up at night. Uh, and also I want to point out JJ zero zero watching yeah. on my Twitch page at stats of fire green pushed off. He did push off a little bit. I will <laughs> say, I agree with that. He uh, did push off. You're never getting that call though. And yeah. If you want to see pushing off AJ Brown is going to do that the entire game. Uh, pizza party watching on YouTube. You talked about Shanahan getting honest with Papa pizza party says John Lynch gets way too honest on KMBR. John Lynch will give you, I've been saying this now. 30 to 45 seconds in every conversation you have with him of pure unfiltered unvarnished truth yeah. at least 30 to 45 seconds every time and it's great as a fan i love it right because we we want to know what the heck's going on yeah. with the team i don't know that the niners necessarily love it or shanahan but lynch will give you those little nuggets yeah, every, no, every no. interview he he gives you some really honest stuff and it like you said it's really good stuff it's good to say it's definitely stuff he shouldn't say for sure. Like he definitely shouldn't say those things, especially after the draft. Those are my tidbits that I'm like, man, like yeah. I appreciate you telling me this, but why are you doing that to yourself by sharing? I just think he's, first of all, he's been so successful the last two years, especially like he's got a King Midas touch. So knock on wood that that maintains. Um, And then second of all, 
I just think he's such a well-intending, nice, like good human being that we just give him passes. Like, okay, John, you said this, but you mean it with the greatest of intentions. You're not trying to manipulate. <laughs> you're not trying to overshare. You're just trying to give us a story and be interesting. So we forgive you for, you know, sharing that Shanahan was walking out of the uh, Justin Fields Pro Day drawing up plays for Trey Lance, which is just such an unnecessary detail that ties Shanahan up. Please give us more of those, John. I want to get to George Kittle in a little bit. And I want to give a shout out to Cameron Britton, uh, the actor, actually, who played Ed Kemper in the great Netflix show uh, Mindhunter, in addition to other things. He made me aware of this stat when he tweeted it yesterday. Do you realize, Vish, 21% of George Kittle's career touchdown passes, not just this year, his whole career, 21% yeah. of those TD catches have come since Brock Purdy took over. That's an incredible stat. I wish I had a little bit more time and I wish my health was a little bit better yesterday. I would have probably done some research for you and gone through and charted a bunch of stuff from previous games. But to me, there's actually a lot to this statement right here. I didn't even know we were going to talk about it, but I'm so glad. Um, To me, the biggest difference is, and first, this is a complete eye test difference compared to the other 49ers quarterbacks that have played with Kittle specifically Garoppolo, who's played the most. Purdy throws the ball into the end zone more willingly, more aggressively, and more accurately than any of these guys. Um, Think about the number of touchdowns the 49ers have scored where Purdy has thrown the ball into the end zone this year. The number to Ayuk and the number to Kittle. Um, Think about the last time you've seen Jimmy Garoppolo throw that many touchdowns over a stretch of time into the end zone. It's not a lot. It's That number has actually increased a lot more the last two seasons but it's still not a very high number. Now, targeting George Kittle inside the red zone, can't remember when I did it, but when I first started um, streaming, might have been a year into it, I think I did it before the 2021 season. So it was between 2020 and 2021. I I did a show on Underdog Fantasy with your former colleague, Josh Norris. Love Josh. Josh and I did a show together, and he asked me this question about the George Kittle touchdown conundrum because at that time, George Kittle was this great player who wasn't scoring touchdowns. Mm -hmm. And the stat was at the time that in George Kittle's four years in the league, I want to say it's either 10 or 12, but I charted the number of times he had been targeted inside the end zone. It was only 10 or 12 times in his entire career. Um, And he had scored four touchdowns, I think, catching the ball in the red zone, inside the end zone. The rest were different. Now, that number has changed. George Kittle has actually caught a lot more touchdowns inside the end zone. He caught a bunch last year, Um, a couple against Seattle, the one in the NFC Championship game, are the ones that come straight to my mind. But that number definitely did increase. But to me, I wish I could give you a better statistical analysis and not just give you what my brain perceives, because there could be biases that cause me to think this way. But to me, that's the biggest difference. And that's why Kittle is scoring touchdowns with Purdy. Purdy is targeting him inside of the end zone, which is something Garoppolo started to do but didn't do early. And we're seeing Purdy do that. And we're seeing Kittle relish by scoring touchdowns. And we're seeing the 49ers get rewarded because Kittle's freaking amazing. (laughs) That's what we've been saying. That's a really good point by you. I hadn't thought of that. But you're right. Brock throws the ball into the end zone. And Scott watching on YouTube – has a good point also. Kyle didn't trust Jimmy to throw inside the red zone either. There is a definite trust between Brock and Kyle. But I was fascinated by this Kittle thing, so I've been digging into it all day. First of all, George Kittle, 11 touchdowns. Congratulations. Almost doubles his career high that he set last year. Uh, That's fantastic. 
There's only been, I think, five players in the league this year with double-digit receiving touchdowns. Only five. And Kittle's one of them. So that's incredible. Shout out to that. Do you know that 50% of George Kittle's yards this year have come after the catch? Half. Half of his yards. That blew me away. And then I started thinking, like, why is he kicking ass with Brock Purdy so much? Like, is he he must be getting the ball more. He's not. No. He's actually not. They're using him at the same rate. So Garoppolo targeted Kittle 5.6 times per game. Brock is targeting Kittle 5.8 times per game. And it's it's the most deceptive my eyes have been compared to the actual reality out of anything this year. Because I would have bet money that Brock is throwing the ball to Kittle more. Yeah. And it's it's just a usage thing. They're finally no. using him the right way, and that's why he's producing. But that's not the case. They're using him the exact same amount. So my eyes didn't trick me on this one, but I can give you the reason why that is. And because I completely understand the perspective you're talking about. It's because I still feel like there's long stretches during the game, even with Purdy, where Kittle doesn't feel like he's there at all in the passing game. Like you can go a quarter and you can be like, hey, George Kittle hasn't touched the ball. It's happened with Garoppolo it still happens with Purdy the Mm -hmm. biggest difference is the catches that do come with Purdy are so meaningful that you feel like George Kittle has had a complete imprint on the game right it's a touchdown it's a big play it's a big third down and those are the plays that when we you know immediately are done watching the game and we're thinking in our head those are the immediate plays we remember because they're all meaningful and that's the big difference between his plays with or his receptions I would say with Purdy and with Garoppolo, it's just that they're all so meaningful with Purdy. Touchdowns, first downs, bigger plays like that. Like even last game, like his first catch, they threw it out to him, you know, in the flat. It was a little two-man route concept to the left side. He made a guy miss and ran over three guys. That's <laughs> in my head. Like, yeah. oh, George Kittle, like that was a big play. I That happened with Garoppolo too. It just, it wasn't really there, you know? And so, and then it's the touchdown. So it's because of that. I think that we're thinking he's having a larger impact, but Really, it's just we're remembering um, the stuff that he's saying. And, dude, he is so good. He is so good, man. I keep saying it. Blocking is the second best thing George Kittle does. And we get reminded of that for, like, a a spurt usually every year, like three games where Kittle just blows up. And we're like, oh, my God, he's so good. And then it goes away. Jason watching on YouTube says, Vish, you might be sick, but you're in your bag right now. Bring in the analysis. I love it. I love I, I got to bring it. I got to bring it. It was, I, I felt like it was a little bit lacking the last couple games. Cause you know, <laughs> I was a little bit out of it. Um, I was out of the country. Um, and so I, I felt like I needed to bring something a little bit different. I, I've been up for a long time already today. So I've been thinking about this a lot and yeah. A couple other things about Kittle. He has one fewer touchdown than Travis Kelsey on 66 fewer targets, 50 fewer catches and two fewer games played. This is George Kittle's best year since he set the rookie or the uh, tight end single season receiving yardage record. I would say it's his third best year. It was pretty special that 2019 season too. I don't know. To me, like I put a lot of weight on touchdowns. I know that some people think I'm crazy to do that. And I put too much weight on them, but like part of having the weapon that is George Kittle is that he's supposed to help you score touchdowns. And I know, you know, you know why you put too much weight on the touchdowns? I've noticed this. Because you need to score more no, points than the other no, team to win the game. 
you were you were growing up spoiled with Jerry Rice, so you think <laughs> that every receiver needs to catch twelve touchdowns a game or twelve touchdowns every single year because that's just the standard what they do. Because Jerry Rice and Randy Moss and Terrell Owens did it every year, especially Jerry Rice. Right, every year he somehow managed to score twelve to fourteen touchdowns, no questions asked. I've been a little bit more well-adjusted. I, I had Andre Johnson, Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones in my life. So I'm used to receivers, you know, dominating other parts of the stat sheet and not necessarily having the gaudy touchdown numbers. Yeah, but if you can't dominate with touchdowns, to me, there's a little bit lacking there. Like Julio Jones had a lot of years where he had like not that many touchdowns, like not even double-digit touchdowns for as great yeah. as a receiver as he was. Calvin Johnson had a lot of years where he was receiving touchdowns. You were like, what the hell is going on? This guy's 6'5". He runs a 4'2", How the hell is he not getting in the end zone? And yet, so yeah, it matters to me. And it was nice to see Kittle absolutely blow up. And this is like the perfect time too, right? Because it's end of the year. All the recent tape on the 49ers is going to be Kittle. Holy crap, he's doing all these things in the red zone. Teams are going to have to prepare for it. That's going to open up opportunities for other players as we move into the playoffs. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I love both the touchdowns he scored yesterday too. The first one, right? You got the concept Debo's coming across, about to sit down. Got really bumped off his route. It wasn't, I mean, I thought yesterday was not one of Debo Samuel's best games of the year. Mm -hmm. I thought he was very rusty. It was very obvious. Um, but it was nice for him to at least get his feet wet uh, before the playoffs where they're going to need him for sure. But um, <laughs> Pizza hey, Party says you're calling me old. Um, and he did a really nice job getting, you know, getting off of Debo and getting to Kittle, who was the second read on time to the backside. And it was a beautiful throw, really lofting it across the back pylon. Yeah. And then the second one I thought was a really nice throw, too, because Kittle was actually covered pretty tight um, off. I think it was a play action bootleg. And. He kind of just threw it out there and allowed Kittle to use his body and catch the ball with his hands really nicely. I, good things happen when you throw it to George Kittle, even when there's people around him, man. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? George is all pumped up because his 100-year-old grandmother was watching the game. He wanted to put on a good show. They sang happy birthday to her at halftime, which was pretty cool. Um, but I just I love seeing George use the way a great player at his position should be used, especially, yeah. by the way, since we're paying him like a great player. I like yeah. to see the production match the contract. It's okay to pay guys a lot of money, but they have to produce at that level if your team's going to be successful. And George is clearly, clearly there right now. Is uh, the 11 the most by a 49ers receiving target since Vernon Davis had the 13 in 2009? I believe it is, yeah. Um, and shout out to VD. He's fantastic as uh, well. Let's get to the wide receivers. There's like a huge argument right now going on in the chat. Uh, Mike on YouTube, Ayuk is a better wide receiver than Debo. It's not particularly close. Some people are saying Debo sucks, which I don't agree with either. Two receiving touchdowns on the year for Debo. And I know he's been banged up. 632 receiving yards. 78% of Debo's yards have come after the catch this year. And this is something that Michelle Majuk has talked about a lot on Fridays. His average depth of target is like, ridiculously close to the yeah. line of scrimmage. Like they are not targeting him down the field at all. Is that, what does that say to you? Is that a knock on Debo that he can't get open? Is it Kyle just using him wrong? Like, what do you make out of that? It's been his 2020 season all over again. This is what his 2020 season was too. And it was because he was banged up. And when he's banged up, he tends to be maybe 
a couple of pounds bigger than he is when he's not banged up. Um, I don't say that to weight shame him in any way. I just think that's the truth. And he maybe doesn't move as well as he does move. And what makes Debo Samuel one of the most electric, special players in the NFL to me is the fact that you have a guy who looks and is as physical and as tough as Anquan Bolden, but he doesn't run like Anquan Bolden. He runs like Percy Harvin. Not maybe that moves that well, but it's not human for the size and then the acceleration and speed and change of direction that you get to go with that size. It's a very special combination. And I think he's been banged up. I've had this conversation over the last two years, and I've always maintained that I always thought Debo Samuel was the better of the two players. Now, I think Ayuk has changed that conversation this year. I think Ayuk had the better season of the two for sure. I think within this offense and what they ask, I think that the last three years, there was no debate. Debo Samuel was the much more impactful player. I think with the acquirance of Christian McCaffrey and maybe some of the things they've done with Debo Samuel this year, I don't know if I would say that anymore. I think I would say Ayuk has been the most impactful player, more impactful player. I think of the two in terms of Ayuk has grown more than Debo has from last year to this year. Yes. I think that's also another thing. And then I think the biggest thing with it's funny because to me, Debo's biggest advantage over Ayuk always was consistency. Like no matter Ayuk always showed more gifts in terms of route running because he's just more fluid as an athlete than Debo. But I always felt in my head, if I had to ask one of them to win with the game on the line, and if the 49ers had to ask one of them to win with the game on the line, they always wanted to go with Debo. And it was because Debo knows how he's going to win. He's going to win with great leverage and he's going to use his body and he's going to be explosive out of his break and he's going to get to the ball first. Well, and what do you mean by that, win? What do you mean by win? Do you mean beat a guy one-on-one? or you Yeah, just mean- beat a guy one-on-one. And I felt like Ayuk, while he could make a guy look silly, this was his in his first two years, there were also times where he would struggle to get off the ball, maybe be a little bit slower in and out of his breaks and stuff. And that was part of Shanahan's frustrations with Ayuk. But the point was, I thought Debo was just more consistent. And I knew that this year to me, Debo was not, that consistent with his route running at all while Ayuk was pretty much dusting and destroying everybody in front of him I I don't think it's such a binary conversation where one's better than the other at this point because we can't just forget what Debo Samuel was just a year ago but Mm -hmm. Ayuk has had the stronger season the point is they need both to play very well in the playoffs because right now they're both fulfilling different roles in the offense and they actually complement each other like exceptionally well with the two roles they're fulfilling within the offense. And the 49ers are a way better team when Debo Samuel is healthy and going. He he can carry this offense by himself. I thought they had that a little bit where he'd finally found some rhythm and was healthy before he had this knee ankle stuff. Like I thought that was the best two, three weeks that we saw of Debo this year. And we'll see if that returns in the playoffs, but they definitely need it in the playoffs. I, I don't really love the workload on McCaffrey either yeah. at this point. I think they're so reliant on him. And I think the only two people that are actually going to alleviate that are not Ty Davis Price. It's not going to be um, Jordan Mason. It's going to be Eli Mitchell is going to get a few more carries. And then Debo, of course, because they seem to trust Debo and McCaffrey to do a lot of similar things, which is primarily what their offense is predicated on. As good as IU Kittle are, it's predicated on those two guys really being such unique and special weapons. Daniel watching on YouTube. They have different skill sets. People take a breath. JJ00 watching on Twitch. 
at stats on fire. If you want to follow me there, Ayuk's routes are absolutely filthy. Sometimes I wonder how he's so open and the replay shows him spin or juke a corner so hard. He falls to the ground. There have been multiple instances of that this year as well. Uh, I did a little digging because I've just been pouring over the stats all day and now I can't find it. Oh, here it is. 63% of all 49ers receiving touchdowns have gone to either Brandon Ayuk or George Kittle. Yeah. Like those are the guys in the red zone. That's who gets the ball if they are passing it. And Ayuk is like uncoverable sometimes on these routes. And Kittle, obviously, uh, we talked about before. Like those are the guys the Niners are going to when they throw yeah. it in the red zone. And it's because of their catch radius, right? At the end of the day, Debo is actually very good at catching the ball away from his frame. He's got really good hands, actually, even though he drops a lot of passes. Sounds oxymoronic, a little bit counterintuitive, but he a lot of those drops are concentrations. He actually does a really great job of taking contact and snatching the ball away from his frame. Um, the big difference is obviously the frame. Debo has very short arms. He's never, to me, been a great red zone receiver threat. The big change with Debo being so dominant in the red zone last year was as a runner, actually. Right. He just sees a crease and he's gone. A lot of his receiving touchdowns, if I remember correctly, were, you know, screens that he took 50 yards or, you know, a, a little bit in a little in route that, you know, that was a 12 yard route that he takes 35 yards for a touchdown. It wasn't as much him making an impact in the red zone. So I'm not surprised by that. And I do think Kittle over the course of his career, if there's something we can say he's really improved on, it's his route running in tight spaces in the red zone and then him catching the ball away from his frame. And then, of course, Ayuk, those are his natural, probably best gifts. How shifty he is in tight spaces and then how long he is and the fact that he can extend and contort his body and catch away from it. And they're so they're both so good after the catch in different ways, too. Kyle watching on YouTube says Debo gave everything last season. Hard to do that every year. And a lot of people are pointing out, and I should point out, too, like, it's incredible that Debo Samuel is even back on the field right yeah. now after yeah, what yeah, we yeah. saw him go through. Like, the, I do not think he's 100% healthy. I don't know how he could be. He got carted off the field. It looked like his leg twisted into a pretzel, and he's playing three weeks later. Like, damn, man. I, I just... Let's give Debo a little bit of love. I know he hasn't put up the numbers, but holy crap, the fact that he's even on the field right now is probably, you know, I'm sure a lot of guys couldn't do it. No, absolutely. Absolutely. It's kind of unheard of. When I see something like that happen, it, it makes me question like, you know, because now I'm, I'm to the point where NFL players and me are, are at a similar age. Um, <laughs> and I look at their athleticism you know, their bodies. Uh, and I think that, you know, their mom probably felt fed them a different brand of milk for me, or maybe they have something different in their DNA because there's nothing about me that says I could do anything even near some of the feats of athleticism and processing in terms of brain power that they show. Jason watching on YouTube says, we're so spoiled to have a discussion about who's better between Ayuk and Debo. That's actually a pretty good point. Uh, you, you I don't actually to... understand. My, sorry, sorry, Rob. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, it's that. all right. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I, I'm so confused why this is a discussion every year. Like, people are really competitive about this discussion. Yeah. And then Debo Samuel, to me, is just weird. Because I feel like so many people wrote him off after 2020. And, you know, there were reports about the Niners not being, or not reports. Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch explicitly said at their end-of-the-year press conference that they were unhappy with yeah. his, how he um, maintained his shape and his body during the offseason. And then, of course, he came back in his contract year and, kicked absolute ass and this year he's been a little <laughs> bit banged up but I felt like a lot of people wrote him off during that time and so even though he had that great year last year I feel like a lot of people are ready to just pounce on him and be like they shouldn't have paid Debo and Debo this and Debo that and then Ayuk on the other hand is just a player that you know a lot of people seem to think is a lot better 
than yeah. what his stats were showing. So they feel so ready to be vindicated. But at the end of the day, right, they're both 49ers players. I, I don't really understand the obsession in terms of being right on one or the other. I had a strong opinion on this, and I'll tell you, frankly, it was wrong. Like, I had a strong opinion that I thought it was so clear-cut at one point that Debo was one and Ayuk was two, and Ayuk had a fantastic offseason and an incredible season and completely changed my mind on a lot of that. And it taught me a good lesson on having these strong opinions on players when they're so young in their career because so much changes year to year with that. It's all right to be wrong. Look, it's okay. We're going to be wrong on some of this stuff. If you are going to say things and take a position on things, you're going to be wrong just because we literally don't know what's going to happen until it does. That's okay. Mike on YouTube says Debo doesn't get any separation. I feel like people like that is not the only measure of a wide receiver. Being able to beat man coverage is part of it for sure. But let's stop acting like Debo can't get away from anybody. By the way, there there have been tons of times when Debo's been open and nobody's thrown in the ball. Those don't count though. Though him getting separation on those, you know, people don't count those for some reason. So your buddy, Chris Sims, your former um, colleague, yes. yeah, colleague, um, and Kyle Shanahan's friend, and one of probably the most hated people, honestly, on Niners Twitter, because he said Mac Jones, <laughs> and ever since then, he's just been, I see him take, you know, uh, just an uncalled for gratuitous shot, like, every two or three weeks from somebody on Niners Twitter. It's like, whoa, like, what did he do to you? But I, I sometimes... <laughs> I do listen to him and he talks about this with receivers and he says Shanahan talks about this too. And I've heard Shanahan talk about this explicitly where they actually think just raw route running and getting separation against man coverage um, is a little bit overrated in the modern NFL. There's so many different formations. There's so many more condensed splits. Um, There's so many more bunches and all these kinds of things where you can create space for receivers and get them open if you have a good offense and Shanahan does that, he can get space for receivers and give them space to get open. He's more interested in how special are you after the catch? How good are you with the ball in the hands? Cause those are things that you can't really coach or help a guy out. Either a guy is special athletically and physically, or he isn't. And so, I mean, that's not exactly right when you're talking about all kinds of receivers, but I do think it gives perspective on what Shanahan looks for when he's looking for those receivers. And I say this to say it's not a Debo versus Ayuk thing. Something I think is actually very underrated about Ayuk. And he's shown it this year ad nauseum. It's just not as good as Debo or Kittle. So we don't talk about it as much as he's been so good about catching the ball and immediately making the first guy miss yep. and getting upfield. It's not, he doesn't do a lot of moves. I thought he was maybe a little less urgent in terms of getting upfield in the past. This year, it's just been get the ball and get upfield and be physical after the catch. And just, you know, get as much yardage as you can. And he's been outstanding in that area as well. And you can see why Shanahan prefers having receivers like this because he does create so much space. Because even Ayuk, as good a route runner as he is, a lot of the routes he runs are into favorable leverage and favorable looks. And that's what happens when you have a great offensive coordinator who understands defenses and understands how to get receivers open. You're absolutely right about Ayuk after the catch. He doesn't do it the same way Debo does, where Debo just trucks people. But I actually went back... Not going to lie, I was jonesing for some Trey Lance plays, so I went back and watched a couple of Trey Lance's starts. There are some catches by Ayuk in those where he catches the ball. One was right before halftime against the Texans. There's like 15 seconds left. The Niners have no timeouts. He catches the ball. There's two guys there. He avoids them, gains like seven more yards, and goes out of bounds just before the end of the half, helps the Niners get a field goal. Like There are so many plays like that where you said it first guy misses right away and he's off to the races and he doesn't get enough credit for it because he doesn't do it like Debo, but he should. 
because he is damn good at it. I believe he led the nation in yards after catch uh, his last year out, but when he came into the league, I believe. Yeah, a lot of people compared him to Debo Samuel before the draft. And while we're on the topic of Ayuk, one last thing we have to talk about it is blocking. His blocking has been a phenomenal this year. They have him be the backside blocker on a lot of these runs, which is, yep. you know, sometimes the Cooper Cup, Robert Woods job. Those guys got so much credit for the amount of blocking they did. Now the Niners play with a fullback, so it looks a little bit different. But when he's cracking on the backside or he's a help support on the defensive end and stuff like that, he has been so good as a blocker. And they put so much on him, and he's so willing to do it. I know there's the highlight plays of his pancakes and him being, you know, a physical presence with the blocking, and those are great. But it's even little stuff that he does as a blocker where he has leverage on a guy and he just, you know, hits him, and he's willing to do that. And those are the little things that I think he has done at such a high level. Everything about his game has been so well-rounded this year. And the biggest thing to me is that he's played with so much urgency. Um, And I didn't think that that was there maybe his first two years. And that was probably the reason why Shanahan was – you know, pushing him so much because when he does play with this kind of urgency and consistency, I mean, he was their most consistent player on offense all 17 weeks outside of Trent Williams this year. Um, And that's a mouthful to say because there's so many good players, but, you know, not everybody produced week in and week out the way Brandon Ayuk did. One more thing I want to get to uh, before we wrap up, because I think it's massively important to mention turnover differential. The 49ers have done the best job they have ever done under Kyle Shanahan of both protecting the football and taking the football away from other teams coming into this season. This team was minus 39 in turnover differential in the Shanahan era. That is insanely bad this year. They have the best turnover differential in the league plus 13 and they lead the league or tied, excuse me. They're tied for the lead league with the Steelers with 20 interceptions. So if you want to know how they've reeled off 10 in a row, this is how. They don't give you the ball, and they take it away from you. And that's something that Shanahan, the only other season that Shanahan has had with a positive turnover differential was 2019 when the Niners went to the Super Bowl. And they gave the ball away quite a bit, actually, in 2019 as well. Yeah. But they no, were that's still positive. because it's, it's, it's been a massive improvement, and that improvement has not just been the second half of the season, right? We saw, concerted, we saw an improvement from Garoppolo. Um, in that area, by far. I mean, he took care of yep. the football very well this season. That needs to be said. Um, and then you're absolutely right. The secondary taking the ball away. I mean, how many players do they have with multiple interceptions? Gibson, Ward, and Jimmy Ward. Ufanga. And Ufanga. That's three. That's pretty impressive. I did think if, you know, there's one criticism um, of their defense, I thought the um, ancillary ancillary pieces outside of Nick Bosa in the pass rush actually slowed down as the year went down. So I thought like Omenahue and Samson Mebukam, these guys had such fantastic starts to this season and they were playing so good individually away from Bosa. I thought the second half of the season, it was really Bosa really held up the level and those guys still played well. I'm not here to, you know, say they didn't. It's just that you could see that the attrition and the wear and tear of the season got on them. I thought Omenahue was continually playing well and I thought he earned a lot of money. Same thing with Ebukam this season. It was just that, Maybe the level wasn't as good as it was at the beginning of the season, so it impacted mm-hmm. you know their ability to get pressure. And to me, everything about their um, creating turnovers is about creating pressure. And I, I do want to say this, Rob. I'm, I'm going to debut this. This is a random shower thought I had. Um, there's no research done behind this stat yet. I wish I did, but I actually forgot it, and now I remembered it. But I wonder if interceptions are a D-line stat, and I would love to go – back and see you know the last 10 15 years the number of teams leading 
the league in interceptions and what their pressure rate was. I'd imagine that if you led the league in interceptions or were top two or three in interceptions, you were also top four or five, top five in pressure rate. Um, and uh, I, I, what do you think of this? What do you think? Is, is that totally crazy? Is that I did? I have no statistical evidence backing this up. I have not looked at one statistic. It's just off the top of my head. Yes, this is what I think of in the shower. <laughs> so first of all, no, because I spent the, my shower this morning literally planning the best path. Like, what do I need to root for in the playoffs uh, this weekend? So I'm absolutely right there. The 49ers are on my mind all the time. I love the idea of you just throwing out a random thing with no evidence to back it up <laughs> whatsoever. And we just talk about it on the show. The Vish Shower thought, our interceptions a defensive line stat? Um, I mean, it helps. Um, it depends though. Like a bra- uh, excuse me, Dak Prescott has a ton of interceptions down the stretch. If you look at the raw number, you'll be like, damn, that's a lot of interceptions. Yeah. I think he leads the league in picks or is tied for it. He's a lot of those there. have been off receivers' hands. Right. A lot of those. Yeah. So I don't know necessarily that it's the opposing team's defensive line that are causing those, as opposed to well, guys literally just not being able to catch the ball on the Cowboys. Right. But it, I mean, it is a huge factor. We have seen this week against the Cardinals and last week too. How many of these passes, they get disrupted, quarterback gets hit, and the ball just right. flutters. I mean, Tashawn Gibson is like just sitting. He's got three right. picks in the last two weeks. They just that fell just right that. to him. And that's the exact point, um, right? There were a few picks that were like truly special plays by Hufung. And I used to always make this argument. Um, I, it's gotten away from me a little bit. It's, you know, you can't be stuck up on the same thing. But I've been a big proponent of both Jimmy Ward and Chikwaski Tart from the time I've started doing this now the perception of both those players changed in different ways over the time that I've been doing this. And it's been totally different, but my point always with safeties and interceptions was, yeah, there is some playmaker element to this, but a lot depends on, you know, what position coaches are putting their safeties in, right? If you were allowing safeties mm-hmm. to play a lot of robber coverage, which allows them to rob routes over the middle of the field, the ball is likely coming there. So they're going to get an opportunity to get their hands on it. And there's very few safeties I was going to say, like over the course of time that are like Ed Reed, you know, where they they're playing in the post and they're just a pure post safety and they'll get 10 interceptions in a season doing that <laughs> because they're the greatest safety that I know a lot of people will say Ronnie Lott. I didn't see Ronnie Lott. Ed Reed's the best safety I've ever seen. In fact, he's one of the best football players I've ever seen. So I, and I, I always made this point and I, I look at this year, right? There were a couple of pretty insane plays by Hufanga where he just felt out the route concept and okay, like, that was a little bit more than you're just playing robber and you're having to make a play on the ball. Like you did something there. You went out of your way. That was something instinctive, especially the best example is the screen he picked off to say good night to the Rams yep. on Monday night football, right? That was something special. But then you look at the picks that Gibson and specifically Jimmy Ward has had, like there's nothing different. There's no playmaker element to Jimmy Ward that wasn't there before. It just this year, there's been some errant passes that have found him straight on the numbers and he's caught it. But Same those- thing with Tashaun. Those didn't happen. Sorry to cut you off. Those didn't happen for years with Tart and Ward in seven years together as teammates and safeties for the Niners. Tart and Ward had eight interceptions total this year between Hufanga and Gibson. The Niners have nine interceptions. Yeah. So those other guys didn't get those kind of like gimme interceptions that just fell to them. To be fair, a few of those years they started together was not this level of defensive line, but also to be fair, they didn't make have this kind of production on the ball when they did have the defensive line in 19. 
and they started a bunch together and in 20 when they started in a bunch together. Both is absolutely true. Now, their coverage responsibilities, what they were asked to do is slightly different from Hufanga and Gibson, especially Hufanga. I would say Hufanga has been put in a couple more featured roles, but he's also earned them, I would say, I guess, more than Tartan Ward did. It just happens to work out that way. But And look, Rob, I'm not even 100% sure um, the validity at this point because when you throw out a number like that, like Deshaun Gibson, I think, has like 35 or 36 career interceptions, right? So like even though all of these have been errant passes – Aaron passes are finding to Sean Gibson every season of his career. So there's something to that too. Like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like it's all luck. Gibson has a shamrock. As Mike Florio says, he's got a shamrock up his ass. Um, And Tart just did it. No, it's, it's part of it is finding the ball too. But I do think that a lot of it just starts from the pressure to create these errant passes. And it starts with Nick Bosa, right? And Mm -hmm. he's been doing that all season. That's why he's the defensive player of the year. Yeah, he is. Give him the damn award already. Coach of the year, Kyle Shanahan. Defensive player of the year, Nick Bosa. Comeback player of the year. You could make a damn good argument for Christian McCaffrey. I'm not going to fight super hard on that one, but it's possible. Dude, um, he, who, who's even in the running for that? I actually haven't seen McCaffrey really associated. That's a great point. He should be the comeback player of the year. Geno Smith is up. I don't like when oh, you have to come okay, back from okay, sucking. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, Geno okay. Smith wasn't hurt. He just sucked. Yeah. So I don't like to give comeback player of the year award to those guys. Um, I mean, it's kind of a comeback out of nowhere though, right? Yeah. But like, if you were bad, like, I don't know. I look at it. To me, that's like supposed to be an injury award. Um, Anyway, last thing before we go, because David uh, Valles hit us up on the super chat. Valles, sorry. And uh, I wanted to talk about this anyway. Changing of the guard happening in the NFC West. Cardinals have fired Cliff Kingsbury. Steve Keim is not going to be back as their GM. Mike Florio had it on Sunday Night Football. There's a strong indication that Sean McVay is going to step down as Rams coach, not because he's burned out, according to Florio, simply because he doesn't want to go through the rebuild that the Rams are going to have to which go is what through. what Sean Payton did, too. Right, which is, yeah. you know, running up the credit cards and then leaving town before the bill comes due. And I tweeted this out a few days ago, and you could say what you want about Kyle Shanahan, but Sean McVay is cutting bait when he knows it's time to get to work and Kyle Shanahan lost 10 plus games in three of his first four years. Yeah. And there's no indication that he is going anywhere. Shanahan is a lifer. He's sticking this thing out. And the Niners have the opportunity now, Vish to run the NFC West for the years to come. Cause Pete Carroll is not going to be coaching that many more years. So, I mean, this is the opportunity. This could be the birth of a Niner. I don't want to say dynasty. Cause that means you got to win championships, but a Niners, ownership let's say of the nfc west for quite a long time absolutely look i i still think the rams like matthew stafford maybe gets healthy or maybe his elbow never gets right but if he gets healthy his back gets healthy i still think that you know they can be a pretty good team because in my mind he's still a pretty good quarterback and i know i'm a bigger fan of stafford than a lot of people but yeah i i agree with your point on mcveigh versus shanahan um, McVay clearly embraces the grind and he does the grind, but the grind also seems to stress him out. I thought the best article was the Seth Wickersham article after they won the Super Bowl, talking yep. about him, like if he doesn't blow up or whatever. And that's the difference to me between him and Shanahan. Like Shanahan's life is the grind. He's fully committed to it. That's all he wants to do. That's all he knows how to do. And that's all he's winning, willing to do. And that's where I respect him. I respect even Mike Tomlin and um, Belichick and Pete Carroll, because unlike Sean Payton, who ran from having to do the rebuild and doing it, they embraced it and they're coaching through it. 
despite their age and despite the success they've had. Now, in regards to Kingsbury, Denver, because of the Russell Wilson trade and how public the Nathaniel Hackett thing was because of what happened primetime week one is going to be the most criticized job. But this is the worst job by far in the the NFL. The Cardinals have nowhere to go. (laughs) They have no cap space. They have no young player that you look at and say, that's a guy we can build around. That's a piece. They have the worst GM in the NFL and Steve Kime, who's got some, some something on Michael Bidwell because Michael Bidwell will not fire this guy. And the only thing on his resume is Bill Belichick and Bill O'Brien giving him Chandler Jones and DeAndre Hopkins for a box of peanuts and then Rodney Hudson <laughs> getting handed to him for a box of cookies by John Gruden. So those are the only things on his resume along with two DUIs. Like he drafted Buda Baker. I get it. Byron Murphy was a pretty good pick. But besides that, who's he picked? Isaiah Simmons is a bust. Zayvon Collins wasn't very good. They Kyler Murray is not only expensive. Kyler Murray not only has question marks on how much people like him. Kyler Murray's also now got a torn ACL. There is nothing good about the situation in Arizona. There's nothing redeemable about it. That is so downhill. That's why they're talking about hiring Vance Joseph. Not because they really love Vance Joseph, in my opinion. It's the state of where they are and who would want to come coach that team because it's nobody, let alone the fact that they fired the one guy that was fully embracing the type of offense you have to run with Kyler Murray. And I'm not sure that you're just going to fire Sean Payton and Sean Payton's going to completely embrace that and want to do that. So there's also that part of it. And then there's the working with Kyler Murray part of it, especially, you know, I heard the new cod is out, so he might be having a pretty good time. <laughs> rehabbing. <laughs> is he, no, I'm kidding. I'm actually a big fan of Kyler Murray. That was not nice. That was not fair. But I say all of that to say that I agree with you, Rob. Seattle is on the up and up for sure, but Pete Carroll is not on the up and up. He's old. The Rams are, I don't know what they are. I don't know what to expect. We'll see how certain injuries recover and we'll see what they do this offseason because they absolutely, or can I say that word? Well, you just did. Uh, Well, (laughs) yeah, they wet the bed this offseason, right? Like what they did to Robert Woods was messed up with him coming off his ACL and trading him like that. And shame on them. The karma came all around because Allen Robinson was one of the worst free agent signings of this free agent signing period. Um, And so who knows where they're going to be. But dude, Arizona is so like they're in the worst spot of any NFL franchise because they don't have cap room. They don't have young talent. They don't have they have an injured quarterback. And who would want to take that job? Uh, it's it's a mess beyond a mess. Yeah. Well, this just in. That's sort of the Cardinals franchise history in a nutshell. Kyle Shanahan apparently speaking uh, or spoke. I don't know, because the 49ers didn't give anybody from Niners Nation a heads up. Thanks wow. for that. Everybody. That's you, disrespectful. Um, but apparently he Shanahan himself said that the Broncos have put in a request to interview D'Amico Ryans and the Titans have put in a request to interview Adam Peters and Rand Carthon for the GM opening. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but since we're specifically talking about this scenario, John Lynch was heavily recruited to go back to TV and he made no bones about it. He made no bones about the fact that he was considering it because they were offering him so much money. Um, But he said that part of what stuck in his mind and made him stay is he gave the speech to the team after they lost the NFC championship game. And he told the team we have unfinished business and he couldn't bring himself to leave the team knowing that that's what he had told them in the locker room. And then he didn't want to just cut ship and bail. Well, if the 49ers win the Super Bowl, is there a spot somewhere for John Lynch in broadcasting? And then does Adam Peters move up? And, you know, and what, what are the ripple effects to the Niners front office? So it's going to be interesting to see 
how guys like Adam Peters and Rand Carthon react to these interview requests and what they do. There, there's a whole shuffle that's going to go on there, depending on how this season plays out. Yeah, that I think that's a really important point in all of this because, I mean, man, John Lynch turned down a lot of a lot of money. So did Sean McVay, to be fair, while we're on the topic. But he True. turned down a lot of money, which, you know, it's a lot, ton of respect to John Lynch and the kind of honor he has as a man. I, I do not have that kind of honor. If somebody put the Amazon offer, uh, offer sheet in front of me, <laughs> I would say, where do I sign? And thank you very much. My family, my children, their children and their children are all now set up for a very nice and happy middle class life. I, I don't need much more. But unfortunately, John Lynch, or fortunately, for the 49ers, John Lynch has a much better set of, you know, an ethical code and a moral compass and honor than Vish Kumaran. Um, the <laughs> the thing is, I agree with you. I Look, I, I don't like getting into the Adam Peters does this, John Lynch does that, uh, Rand Carthen, nobody talks about him as much, or Prague does this, John Lynch does that. All I know is that the Niners front office has done a phenomenal job really outside of 2017, 2018, Few misses, few hits, but more hits than misses. Same oh, yeah. thing with 19, same thing with 20, same thing with 21, and same thing with 22. So they've done a that's four straight off seasons where they've been a top of the line front office. Prague obviously does the cap stuff, and they're always in a great situation in terms of their cap. Um, of course, I'm sure Shanahan takes a bulk of it, and there's so much developing done of young players by the coaches that I'm sure that helps too with the drafting. Like, I'm sure all of this plays into it. But I don't like to pencil in that, you know, keep this person, keep that person. I, I do think that the vision and the identity of this team does stem from Shanahan and Lynch, no matter how good of a talent evaluator Adam Peters is. And if Peters does get a job, and even if Lynch does choose to sh- stay, and Lynch does choose to stay and not go to TV, I do. I would imagine that there would remain continuity in terms of this success. Cause to me, the visionary is Shanahan. It's not any of those other people. And I might have the complete wrong read of the organization, but to me, he's the guy that makes everything tick. He's the guy I would least want to lose. I'll tell you that yeah. Luke Walsh saying, I'm hoping the 49ers ask the 49ers for permission to interview Adam Peters for the GM job. One last thing from Shanahan's uh, quickly, cause we're, this is the longest podcast I've ever done. Uh, Shanahan said they hope to get Dre Greenlaw and Aaron Banks back in practice at some point this week. So let's not just assume that those guys are going to be back for the wildcard playoff game against Seattle. Also, Shanahan said he doesn't look at it like you have to beat the Seahawks three times in one season. You only have to beat them on Saturday. That's a very, very coach coach speak type answer from Kyle Shanahan. But look, there'll be plenty of time to break it all down, and we will do just that. Happy to announce, by the way, on the Gold Standard podcast on Thursday, a little promotion here. Joe Staley is going to join us for the second straight season. Wow! I am so pumped. He's going to join us for our Thursday show. That's the Gold Standard show, which we tape on Wednesday this week, Vish, which is my birthday. So on my birthday, birthday, Rob, thank you. I'm going to get to talk with Joe Staley. I'm still geeking out about it. Is that you and Levin, right? Yes. Joe, if I remember correctly, I listened to the podcast. Joe, Joe and Levin got along pretty well. Joe was a little hard on you, Rob. He was getting on bit. you for haterade. He was he was getting on you. Hopefully, we'll do that on your birthday. Hopefully, he'll, he'll respect the fact that. And and <laughs> if if he doesn't respect it, Rob, let him know to watch the Monday show because you've really been nothing but sunshines and rainbows and ponies 
for the last like 10 weeks. 10 weeks. What do I always say? When the team plays well, I say they play well. I'm not Mr. Negative guy all the time. It's just when they're bad, I say they're bad. And people don't like to hear that. JJ00 watching on Twitch. Give yourself a raise for getting Staley. Yes. And really just credit Joe Staley for being a good guy uh, and wanting to come on the show. So Benny Lawrence watching on Facebook. I wish I was doing that show live, Rob. Yeah. Maybe we will go live with that show. That's an interesting idea, Benny. Do it. You know, do I, it. If Joe's cool with that, you know what? I would love to do it. So that's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, but that's going to do it for this show because this is a crazy long show. Crazy. Thanks again, everybody, for all your support. We crushed our download record that we set last year. We more than doubled it. That is a credit to you, Vish, and everybody here at Niners Nation, all the hosts that we have. And it's also a credit to the fans, obviously, your support, the millions and millions of you that have listened to this show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We love you. And I promise you, we will continue to make our shows worth your time. We don't take that lightly. Vish, I hope you have a fantastic week, my friend. I will, Rob. And I know you will, too. Happy birthday to you, buddy. And enjoy it with Staley and flash the shirt for us one last time. Victory Monday, baby. There you go. Homage.com. Go check it out. They have the best Niners gear around. We'll talk to you tomorrow.